Hey there! Thanks for tuning in to Ermia Matters, where we talk all things Ermia as an association and all things higher education risk management and insurance. Let's get to it. Welcome to Ermia Matters. I'm Craig McAllister, this episode's guest host. I'm joining the podcast today from the University of Miami. I would like to introduce Jeff Salingo and Cole Clark as co-authors, along with others, on an article that caught our attention about the hybrid campus. We'll share the article in the show notes. I would like to have Jeff tell us a little bit about himself. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. So I've been in and around uh, higher education for more than uh, 20 years. I spent 16 years at the Chronicle of Higher Education, where I was the editor, as well as a writer and reporter over those years. And since then, I've written a couple of books on on higher education, including Who Gets In and Why, uh, You're Inside College Admissions, which is my latest from Simon & Schuster, co-host the podcast uh, Future You with Michael Horn, and I'm a special advisor and professor of practice at Arizona State University. Thanks, Jeff. And Cole, please tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me and Jeff to talk about this very important topic. I'm uh, a managing director in Deloitte's higher education practice and also serve as a fellow in our higher education Center for Higher Education Excellence, which is the organization from which this monograph originated. I've been around higher ed for 30 years, as evidenced by the extra gray in, in my beard, but I've spent most of that time at sitting at the crossroads between technology and higher ed strategy and culture. I started my career at Apple, and Apple had its roots in teaching and learning with technology and was with several other technology firms until joining Deloitte in 2015. I hail from Atlanta, Georgia, and I also serve as a trustee on the board of the Western Governors University. Thanks, Cole, and welcome to both of you to Ermia Matters. Today's episode is focused on hearing about what the group uncovered during their study of the state of campuses right now and how we as risk managers can stay ahead of the curve as much as possible with the ever-changing environment during COVID and beyond. Let's start with the impetus for doing your work. Can you tell us why it was important to document these findings in the midst of the pandemic? As Jeff knows, back in the late spring, when it seemed like the wheels were coming off uh, of everything, I reached out to him and said, how can we start to think about where this will all end up in another one to two years versus all of the focus at that time was on how do we get kids home? How do we think about maybe reopening campuses in the fall? What do we do about the, the financial situation, both the loss of revenues from tuition and from auxiliaries, as well as the need to acquire all this uh, infrastructure in order to make that rapid pivot to uh, online work and online instruction. And after Jeff laughed at me for a little bit, we started to put our heads together about getting a group of higher ed leaders from across both the higher ed spectrum, just in terms of different types of institutions, as well as different types of roles, chancellors, provosts, CFOs, CIOs, CHR, human resource leaders, to begin to try and get them to put aside the, the issues of the day and escape the tyranny of the urgent for at least an, an hour or two. And they agreed to, to meet together with us. Jeff facilitated these meetings. And then also they agreed to be surveyed by us over the course of the summer to really help us try and get at what are some of the what are some of the positives, the things that we can leverage and harness for the good of higher ed in the long term, not just really focus on 
the short term. Jeff, do you think I characterize that accurately? Yeah, and I, I think one of the things, Craig, that emerged from these conversations is this idea of the hybrid campus, right? That the idea that we talked a lot about hybrid classes, which were obviously even a big thing before the the pandemic, this idea of flipping the classroom where individual professors might take some of their classes online and the rest of their classes face-to-face. But we're also seeing examples, for example, like at uh, the University of Central Florida, where residential students were taking online classes or at Arizona State a University where stu- students were mixing and matching in-person classes and, and online classes. But what we started to see coming out of this group is a discussion about how to take what was already going on in the retail world, especially during the pandemic, that I could order something at Home Depot and I could have it delivered to me, I could pick it up in the store, or I could look to see what shelf it is on the store. This idea of the omni-channel idea. And how do you apply that to a college campus? So that the idea of the hybrid campus is not just in the classroom, but it goes well beyond the walls of the classroom. Student affairs, academic affairs, advising, financial, every, every career services, and of course, the workplace, the university is a workplace. And that was really the idea that emerged from this group that became the thesis for this paper, is that we have to think beyond just hybrid courses and classes, but to think about everything at the university through this potential lens of face-to-face, a mix of face-to-face and online. And there was really no way for us to, frankly, get into every aspect that needed to be covered. So we picked three broad areas, the student experience and, and the student experience writ large, not just the classroom experience, but the entire experience uh, from the time an individual is a prospect at an institution all the way through to their status as an alum and everything in between. That was one major area of focus. The other was the nature of work on campus, the human resource, whether administrative or academic, and really rethinking not only where work gets done, how it gets done, but by whom. And that was a second major area of focus. And then the third was rethinking the the academic program array and really re-examining the connectivity to employers to understand better what needs to be added to get the country back you know, on track, but also what not to do anymore. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for institutions is deciding what to stop in order to invest in net new things and something that we really focused on in this paper. So thank you. So the first question that comes to mind is how do you manage expectations for the lifetime of that life experience on campus, for that residential setting, everything from fraternity and sorority connections, the social life, the interaction with faculty, playing sports, how does that fit within this hybrid model? So I, I don't think this is an either or. And in, unfortunately, I think this idea of a binary choice in higher ed has been given to us up to this point, right? You're either online or you're face-to-face, but never shall the two mix. And potentially, we also saw online as something that served lifelong learners and adult learners, and we saw something as face-to-face that served 18 to 22-year-olds. But we know that the mindsets and motivations for students, no matter what their age or demographic, is going to be different based on what they need at that particular moment. And that's really what the hybrid campus is trying to serve. We're not saying, by the way, do away with the residential experience. What we're saying is 
take a look at your campus, and particularly, by the way, through the lens of the pandemic, because I think we've learned what really needs to be done face-to-face. Where are the high-impact practices, the learning that happens in residential life, for example, athletics, obviously certain classroom experiences, a meeting with professors, things like that that have to happen in, in face-to-face. But what are all the services? And we know there are a ton, and Cole could hopefully go into some of those, that, that don't have to be done uh, face-to-face. Like, do I really have to go see somebody in the financial aid office or the bursar's office, for example, to get what I need to get done? Or can that be done more efficiently and e- more easily by students online? And I think one of the points I've made many times in discussing this paper is that all of these recommendations could be adopted by an institution that was primarily going to remain largely residential and still vastly improve throughput, connectivity with students, student success, completion. So I don't, I, again, back to Jeff's point, it's definitely not a binary choice or an either or. And certainly one of the challenges that I see to this is change management. And anytime as we change the the academics, the workforce, the workspace, in your article, you've laid out those three areas. And I was wondering if you could start off and talk about the academics and how you envision that changing. I think from a, as I mentioned before, I think on the academic side, there's tremendous momentum to be harnessed in the near term. How many faculty members of, of most institutions had actually taught an online course prior to the pandemic was shockingly low. I think the numbers that have been quoted have been in the 30 to 35% range. That now is almost a universal. And I think it's had an enormous impact on their understanding and frankly, the acceptance of these modalities as ways to enhance teaching and learning. And so I, I think that change management question is an important one, but I also think now is the time to really make some, take advantage of the momentum that this otherwise negative event in our history affords us. Thanks, Cole. And and certainly from risk managers, we always talk about not wasting a crisis and the wise man who made that original statement. But so uh, taking the opportunity to make these changes, I don't know if you could talk about the, the changing workforce or the workspace as well. Uh, yeah, I, Jeff, I don't want to monopolize the conversation here, but the one thing I did w- that did pop into my mind as well was, as it relates to the working environment, is that in the crisis, a lot of institutions were motivated to develop what, I, what we called central management hubs or decision-making bodies to rapidly make decisions that affected uh, a whole range of otherwise generally independent and siloed entities within the academic enterprise. And we've suggested that that higher education should hang on to that, that don't use it just as an emergency move, but it actually helps to, first of all, understand the impacts that these decisions have on the broad institution, academic as well as administrative. And it makes the institution, believe it or not, move faster and become more nimble and able to respond to, to change. Much like what you what I alluded to earlier when you asked about the, the change management piece is that a lot of higher ed's administrative human resource has now spent almost an entire year working at least partially remotely from home or from some other location. So I think that the momentum is there. And frankly, university is going to have to grapple with this because a lot of individuals are 
not wanting to go back to the way it was, not necessarily for health and safety reasons, but just for the the other benefits that having this mixed mode of working provides them. And so I think they're going to have to get their arms around this sooner rather than later. We've seen a number of universities asking for help in developing a, and I, I think this is an overused term, but future of work strategy or return to work strategy, because they realize that it isn't going to go back to the way it was before entirely. And they, they need help in laying out exactly what that should look like. Craig, I think that Cole brings up a great point. I, I think too often we see this as what's innovative here is the technology, and that has nothing to do with it. What's really innovative here or what's is rethinking how stuff gets done on campuses. And again, I want to really go back to this idea of the high impact practices that we know help students succeed, right? When we think of all the jobs that are done on a college campus, we have to really start to think about what are the ones that really impact student success? What are the ones that students really need to have that face-to-face experience? And when I look 20 plus years spending on hundreds and hundreds of college campuses, there were so many things that we just hired and had people do, right? Processes that we had people do that really don't necessarily need to be done by people or need to be done by people in that physical setting with students. And that to me is, as I think an easy binary way to think about this is where does the face-to-face experience for the student matter and where doesn't it matter? And when you look at that list of where it doesn't matter, which I think, by the way, is going to be a lot longer than I think most campuses realize, which ones of those can be done remotely, through technology, through more of a, an online kind of basis. And that to me is, is, is where the win in, in all this is. And I just want to bring up one quick example with Georgia State, which was one of the institutions that we did a case study in the mm-hmm. paper on around financial aid. So the, Georgia State is always highly touted for the work that they've done with student success. They really increased their graduation rates across the board. And one of the things they realized with their call center, for example, around around financial aid is that students would used to call in and they would just be sitting waiting on the line. Now, because of social distancing rules, all those uh, call center people had to work from home and you had to put a ticket in to tell them what you need, really needed to, what you needed to call about. Now they were able to bunch a lot of those together. They were able to send it to people who really knew the answer to those questions. And again, they changed, they didn't change the technology. They changed the work process that in the end actually made them much more efficient in serving students. Thanks, Jeff. And I see is the new model of how services are being delivered. That also helps with the resiliency of the institution by being flexible. So the next, whether it's a pandemic or a a hurricane or a fire, other things that come up, the institution is still able to operate by using these different technologies and and remote workforce. Is this something that will all institutions be able to do this? What what are your views on that down the road? We definitely uh, discovered that those institutions that had already headed down this path pre-pandemic were far better prepared to pivot and suffered less than some of those that had not. Anecdote after anecdote from places like Central Florida and Georgia State, which had instituted the, the, at an, on an enterprise scale the use of some of these technologies, chatbots, online courses, automation, they definitely were in much better shape. But I think in addition to being more resilient, it also makes the institution more appealing to a broader set of potential students. And I think there's a tremendous upside here in terms of, for those institutions that want to do this, broadening access 
to a much wider set of individuals that want some mix between online and in-person, either within their local community or outside their community. And we're seeing that already. And I think that given how much hand-wringing there's been about an impending uh, cliff from a demographic perspective for enrollment of traditional 18 to 22-year-olds, this is good news. Thanks, Cole. And, and certainly with the changing demographics are something that's been on the risk register for many institutions. And as we look at that going forward. So, you know, clearly, this is just the start of the conversation for many campuses and isn't inclusive of all the ideas that are out there. But at the end of your article, you shared five success factors for building a hybrid university of the future. How do you see folks in risk management being leaders in this transformation? I'll make one stab at this and then Jeff can give a, a quick response. I think of the five, the one that jumps out at me is the new financial models and incentives. This is an area where there's risk involved whenever you start messing around with the the way money moves around on a campus and how you create incentives and and so forth. But to me, this is a risk to be embraced because the only way in a true shared governance environment that you're going to get these changes effectuated in the near term is to build incentives in to to make sure that, that individuals who take risks are rewarded. And so that, to me, is the one that stands out from a risk management perspective. Jeff? Yeah, the one that stands out to me is just around the culture. We're in for, I think, some pretty difficult days ahead of us in higher ed around who do our institutions serve, why do they serve them, and how do we serve these students with the, with the talent that we have, with the human resources that we have. This is going to really require rethinking human resources, which are obviously are people, It involves people's jobs. I mean, whenever you involve people's jobs, obviously there are big, not only cultural risks, but financial risks and other reputational risks out there. That to me, this is going to require a rethinking of the higher ed workforce in a way that I don't think most institutions have really thought of for maybe 20, 30 or 40 years. And that to me is really probably the biggest risk out there. I would say, what does the American university look like 20 years from now? It will be the question that will continue to go on. This certainly gives us a lot to focus on as we emerge from the crisis. And I hope that there's uh, not too many people that'll be losing sleep over this or being, but being able to manage this in a thoughtful way and using those, the new groups that have been formed and the new connections have been made at the institutions that go with that. And certainly the thoughts that that Cole and Jeff have brought here will, will continue with that. I'd like to thank Jeff and Cole for their time today and the insights towards the future of higher education. So again, thank you on behalf of Ermia. And this wraps another episode of Ermia Matters. You've been listening to Ermia Matters. You can find more information about Ermia at www.urmia.org. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes available to Ermia members in the Ermia Network Library.